right, ladies and gentlemen, Level Heads are back. In today's episode, we've got Andy Pace from the Green Design Center. Andy is a healthy home advisor. He is uh, globally known. He reaches out to all parts of the, the country and the, and the world. We talk about the difference between green home and healthy home, and we even get into a serious discussion about scotch whiskey. Listen in. And how scotch makes all of it better. Bet. Welcome in to the Level Heads Podcast. My name is Zane Ellis with Collective Build Company. I'm Mike Connolly with Greenside Design Build. I'm Jamie Verdura with Verdura Construction. Today we've got a special guest who is uh, who owns the Green Design Center. His name's Andrew Pace. Andrew, say hello. Hello, guys. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Andrew has his own podcast, and he is a green building expert. Uh, and we're going to be talking about green building today. We're going to be talking about personal health and why we all suck at it. So, Andrew, where are you located? Tell us about yourself. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. I am just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a little town called Waukesha. Started in a family business um, myself back in 1989. The business actually started back in the late 30s, uh, commercial construction, material supply, and got out of school, started working for the family biz. And a few years after working uh, in the family business, I was uh, supplying a water-based epoxy floor coating for a below-grade parking structure. And after we applied the first coat, the primer coat, we started getting phone calls from all the people living in the condos above complaining of the odors. And what, what scared, really scared the hell out of me was three of our own workers got rushed to the hospital because of inhalation complications. Wow, wow. They couldn't oh, breathe shit. because of the curing of the epoxy. And that got me thinking, I don't want to risk a 70-year history of have this family business here in, in Wisconsin and, and, and ruining that reputation. So we went on a quest to find healthier building materials. And that really started the whole, whole how, thing. How long us. ago wow. was that? How did that turn out? Turned out well. Uh, we actually found a very small company in California called AFM that manufactures paints and coatings for people with chemical sensitivity. This is something back in the day that I knew absolutely nothing about. Um, but they were able to manufacture a coating that worked for us. The job got completed. Customer was happy. And then it got me thinking, well, if this is good for this job, shouldn't everybody use non-toxic yeah. materials? It just makes sense. Yes. Um, so we started a spinoff of the company uh, called the Green Design Center that was selling nothing but uh, healthy and common sense building materials. Actually... So when I started the company, it was called Safe Building Solutions. And the reason why I changed it to green was because all of a sudden the industry went to this word green, yeah. which before was just a color, right? And now it's like kind of a way of life. But back then the word didn't exist in our vernacular. And so we used common sense and healthy. The uh, U.S. Green Building Council comes along. They start the LEED program. Everything kind of gravitates towards energy efficiency and global environmental concerns. And the whole human health thing kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, so, but we just kept on our way. And, and now for the last 30 years, we've been doing nothing but healthy building materials. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to touch on Andy, because I was introduced to you a couple of years ago through one of my um, custom builds. Mm. My client wanted to do a healthy build and I was, wasn't very familiar with a healthy build. I was certainly familiar with the term green, yep. but there, there is this distinct difference. I think green now is gravitating towards the energy efficiency, but a healthy home, it's com something completely different. It is. It's um, that that's probably the number one question I still get to this day, Mike, is that when somebody comes to me and says they want to build a green home or they, or they want to build an eco-friendly home, I think they just assume it means that it's healthier for the occupant. But our industry, the, you know, the building materials industry, the construction industry, they look at it differently. They look at it from a standpoint of metric um, and, you know, how does the home perform? How does the home perform uh, under in, in during usage? How does it perform during this weather and that weather? Um, it the 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 term green sort of became a catch-all for everything. And 
you have to really look back to the to like the mid '90s when um, the EPA started regulating volatile organic compounds (VOCs). Um, this regulation comes out. It was actually the Outdoor Air Pollution Act, and it made manufacturers start to limit the VOCs coming off of their products, kind of like the CAFE standards for automobiles. So they had to limit the VOCs, like overall. If they make 300 products, they had to lower them by a certain percentage every year. It made paint manufacturers use um, ingredients that were not necessarily volatile organic compounds that could contribute to outdoor air pollution, but use other chemicals that are not classified as VOCs that are just as toxic. And so technically they meet the regulations, but they don't actually, they're not actually healthier for the occupants. And so it's it's taken a long time for the for uh, I think the consumer to sort of catch up to this. They they all thought we all thought as an industry this means that it must be safer for us. But how come people are still getting sick? You know how come? Um, you know why are things like why is formaldehyde still allowed in these in in our buildings? If formal, formaldehyde's a VOC, but it's not classified as that because it doesn't contribute to outdoor air pollution. So we're you know, I think the industry is now starting to unpack this finally and looking at this at a, fi- a little finer filter to say that there's got to be a better way. Makes sense. Yes. So you're based in Wisconsin there. Actually, we were up in Wisconsin, not too far from yeah. you a couple oh. months ago. One of our uh, Builder 20 members goes up around Pine Lake. Delafield. Oh, nice. I think that's, that's close by here. Delafield, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, beautiful area. Beautiful area. So you're located in Wisconsin. What is your client base like? Are you, are you mainly Wisconsin or Midwest, or are you selling all over the country, or what's your reach? Well, from a standpoint of, uh, so we do a lot of local projects. Uh, we have uh, crews for doing, you know, flooring installation and so forth. But honestly, my business now has gone more global. Uh, I spend probably ninety percent of my day on the phone or in Zoom calls with clients who hire me to make their project healthier or as healthy as possible. So it doesn't matter if I've got a client right now in um, Israel looking for a a healthy apartment and I'm going through apartments online with him trying to find one, which will be healthiest for him. I've got clients in Australia and so forth here in the U S I think I've got about 27 homes under construction in various stages of construction where I am working with the homeowner as their liaison with the design team to make sure the correct materials and systems are chosen for their project. Now, one would think that you do this a few times and they're all pretty much rubber stamped after that. And that really isn't the case. I mean, you all know as custom home builders, every client's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I look at building a healthy home very similar to somebody who has got a lot of specific ideas. You know, if they come to you with a Pinterest page of 1,200 different pictures of a kitchen and they say, can you build me this? Uh, my customers are saying, I've got right. a child with asthma or I've got somebody with uh, mast cell activation syndrome or chronic inflammation or what have you. Uh, can we build a home that's not going to exacerbate his or her symptoms? And for everybody that I work with, their thresholds are different, their triggers are different. So we gotta go through all the different materials that are used in construction and find the right one. So how do you determine what somebody's um, what somebody's triggers are? Do they tell you? Do you have to get some sort of report from their allergist? How, how, how thorough does that need to be? Yeah, it, that's a good question. It's, it really depends on the, on the, on the, the customer themselves. You know, some of my clients have, have been dealing with this for decades. Mm-hmm. And so they have sort of their list of things they need to avoid. Some of them are new to the game. Um, I would say since the pandemic, um, we've gotten probably a 40 to 45% increase in phone calls from people because of mold. Yeah. Well, why is that? Well, people are spending more time indoors. Um, you know, before the pandemic, we were spending 80 to 90% of our lives indoors. During the pandemic, it was like 95% of our life. And I think now people are just more sort of aware of their surroundings. But um, yeah, I mean, to specifically answer your question, it's a lot of it is trial and error. Um, 
I think of a couple of clients I've had over the years where we've actually had to send them samples of every component of the home in little glass jars, all the way down to the screws and nails holding things together that they would have to do, you know, either Mm -hmm. the sniff test or a muscle test or some type of test to determine. And, And quite honestly, most often these materials are perfectly fine. But what I've learned over the years now is, you know, in any industry, you, you talk about um, what is the barrier to entry? You know, how do we get our foot in the door? How do we get our product sold, our service sold? With my really heavily sensitive clients, their barrier to building is the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. They don't want to start a process that they fear they're not going to be able to finish. Yeah. And I, I have seen this now time and time again where um, they have all the money in the world to build whatever they want to build, but their fear of having a reaction holds them back. So they're stuck in their house that was built in 1976 with materials that haven't been switched out yet because they're so fearful of putting anything new in. Uh, recently I had a, um, a client of mine build a, a healthy home in, um, Racine. So between us, and this is the first time this particular builder, uh, has built a healthy home and it went swimmingly well. Everything was fantastic. The client couldn't be happier. Um, I had another client reach out and say, can I walk through that house? Because I would like to do this too, but I don't want to, I don't want to, because I, it's probably not going to work for me. She walked into the house and she started giggling because she couldn't believe that she's actually walking into a brand new built home and not having a reaction. Wow. Um, and so I think that's the biggest issue is that fear to just to take the first step. And so a lot of times in choosing materials, in bringing these samples out to show a customer, it's just to get them over that fear of, is right. it going to harm me or not? Yeah. yeah. Of all the conventional materials that we build with on uh, say an average home, what's the biggest culprit? Like what's the one item that is probably the, that triggers the most people? Is it formaldehyde in the lumber or is it the paint or it's the builder? Oh, well, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Col- I would say cologne. Um, <laughs> so hey, there's nothing the, wrong with Drakkar Noir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 90% of the of the chemical issues that'll happen inside somebody's home will come from the things they see and touch on a daily basis. Right? So, we're talking flooring materials, wall and ceiling finishes, cabinetry and built-ins, and then your own personal furnishings, your window treatments, area rugs, furniture, things of that nature. 10% will come from the things behind the walls, above the ceilings, the things that are hidden. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say most often it's going to be formaldehyde coming from flooring materials. The biggest culprit there will be carpeting. Carpeting is the absolute, traditional carpet is the absolute worst thing you can have in your house case closed. Um, beyond that, there are healthier versions, of course. But um, I think when people are looking at designing a home, and they want to design it healthy, we do look at everything from, you know, the the sheathing all the way through to the air barriers, uh, to the insulation, the the moisture limiters, and so on and so forth. Because, again, they want to make sure that they have that peace of mind that we have looked at everything for them. Even though it may not be that big of a deal, ultimately, uh, they don't ever want to walk into that house and sense something and say, why didn't I take care of that? Why did we use spray foam when we could have used rock wool or something like that um and so we we will make sure we check those all those off the list yeah, that's great gotcha yeah i have a yes yeah, spray foam is a big one um we, i this is all new to me i mean our, our standards of the industry in california are, are we're green there's a lot of green building ordinance out here i'm sure you're aware of them but i had a client um mm-hmm. we're gonna be building a house in the summer and it's gonna be a healthy home and her trigger is a electromagnetic sensitivity. I don't know if you've dealt with anything like that. And a oh, yeah. shout out to my uh, my electrician. She found us um, by taking. She has gauges that she walks on site with to you know because she gets bad headaches and these. And um, sure. she walked into a house that we built, and 
all her gauges were low and she said your electrician knows how to wire a house knows how to wire a three-way switch nice. is the biggest culprit apparently which i didn't know about Big. um and since yeah. then i've read she's yeah. given me books and i've been reading up on all this stuff and we're gonna go a whole healthy healthy house is in up, up to bat here for us that's great. You know, uh, electromagnetic fields, I think between that and mold and, and formaldehyde, these are the, the um, lead and asbestos of our time. You know, I think, you know, we've pretty much tackled those other things. Now it's these. Electromagnetic fields, uh, really, the, there's, there's a couple of things here. First of all, if somebody has a mold sensitivity, uh, electromagnetic fields actually mimic a, a, a mold reaction. Um, so we, we have to look at that. Uh, second thing is, is that is it electromagnetic fields coming from traditional wiring? Um, is it EMFs caused by uh, or electromagnetic radiation caused by all Wi-Fi? These, there's a lot of specs. A, I mean, all the way the motors of appliances. We're actually going to wrap the outside of the building in a copper mesh. I mean, it's to the gills yep. a healthy home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, and that's. That's a big deal. I mean, so there are some, I mean, lucky in California, you got a couple of really capable uh, building biologists out there that I refer to quite often for, for the EMF issues. But, you know, the, the things that I've learned over the years is that, yeah, you can, uh, you can wrap with a mesh, uh, either copper, or there's a, a zinc product that works really well. Uh, there are paints that will block electromagnetic fields, kind of messy to work with, but they, they work. But, you know, basically a lot of it comes from the interior wiring comes down to right. how well is the home wired, you know, the, the reduction of three-way switches, the, okay. you know, reduction of dimmers, um, you know, and then simple things like don't cross your wires, your, you know, with, right. with um, uh, water lines because the water line will carry the, 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 the field further. Um, you know, shield the wires um, either using, um, you know, metal clad, um, or uh, the flexible BX. Um, another one is to, um, instead of using traditional 12-2 Romex, use 12-3 Romex, uh, but just, you know, energize two of the wires, keep the third wire capped, and that'll actually reduce the electromagnetic wow. field by about 98%. That's, that's one area where in Chicago we are benefited by having all our electrical and conduit. So everything is in electrical metal conduit here. And we were doing the electromagnetic tests from our client, and it, it was pretty low because everything was in conduit. Everything uh, was shielded. Okay. Yep. Makes sense. I'll be honest, guys. This is the first I've ever heard. But of yeah, this. I think I think you have to. The other things would be things such as um, you know appliances that are Wi-Fi activated. Honestly, I think more people are affected by Wi-Fi than traditional EMFs. Uh, but you know, and that's pretty simple to take care of by just eliminating the router and um, you know. Again, Hard shielding life. the walls, shielding the windows, and so forth. I'm in Tennessee. We're just lucky to have electricity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all new to this. That's you got to go outside and pedal something for it? No, or I mean, we pay the guy. We pay the guy to run the crank out there. I mean, he's, you know, he makes minimum Feed wage. Him. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, he just he just That's has to it. put a tinfoil hat right. on, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> he's happy. He's fine. So you have a podcast, yes, sir. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I have a show called Non Toxic Environments. It's called. I've been doing it for almost five years now. Um, you know, I made the decision a long time ago, as as well. I mean, you guys did too. It's like. You know, so many people told us that you got to talk about these things. You got to teach people all about non-toxic and healthy. And I didn't want to give away the secret sauce. You know, I didn't want to give have a show where I'm just basically teaching everything, you know, everybody, everything I know. Honestly, the show has been phenomenal. I mean, it not only do we have a lot of listeners, um, it's the most listened to healthy home podcast Great. on iTunes. Oh. Uh, wow. But it's all it's also brought us more clients because I think the more they learn, the more they want to learn. And, um, which is great. Um, uh, and now we've started it as a, a live weekly video program, uh, that, uh, we're bringing experts on once a week to, to sort of have this kind of conversation and, and dive deep into, you know, what's happening in, in their part That's of great. the healthy building world. That's cool. That's cool. How long have you been doing it? Uh, the live shows now just started in uh, on February one, so uh, yeah, this will be our fifth, sixth week. Tomorrow. Oh wow, 
That's great. Okay. Yeah. Any, you, you should give us any See, pointers. I feel like <laughs> you have such a serious podcast and it's you're teaching and then you have us three knuckleheads and we're just out here winging it. I haven't it. taught anybody anything. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. I did a show uh, last year with uh, uh, a couple of podcasters out in um, Oregon. It was a, like a serious Saturday morning home fix-it show, right? And they warned me. They said they want to ask me about, I don't know, um, name one thing that you're interested in beyond, you know, construction and healthy home building because we want to talk about that for a little bit. Well, they asked me that question earlier in the podcast. I think the entire hour long we ended up <laughs> talking about that other thing because I happen to be a Scotch whiskey sommelier. Oh, oh. yeah. Please elaborate. <laughs> and so as you can tell, <laughs> the conversation turned really quick. Mike is <laughs> What's your favorite Scotch? <laughs> What's my favorite Scotch? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I usually uh, answer that What's with, it, yeah. well, the one that's in my hand right now. Yeah. But oh. I don't have one in my hand right now. Um, no, I'm a big fan of... Um, I'm a big fan of a Scotch uh, distillery called Mortlock uh, out of Speyside. Uh, it's actually okay. out of a town called Dufftown. Uh, Dufftown is known for, um, you know, Rome was built on seven hills. Dufftown was built on I seven stills. <laughs> so Mortlock is one of the originals. So if you're going, if I'm you're a, just going to go to a guy myself, ah. if you're just going to go to a bar, just any bar and pick a Scotch yep. that most people have, what is it? Uh, well, it depends on the bar, but you know, if it's going to be a, just a simple, um, scotch whiskey, honestly, I love doers, um, doers, white label. It's a very inexpensive blend. It's the first scotch whiskey I ever had in my life. And I still love it to this day. A little bit of, a little bit of a smoky peatiness to it. You know, Mike, you had said you like the Isla whiskeys. I'm a huge fan, huge fan myself. Um, you know, I, I would say that when I started my journey in this about 10 years ago, I wasn't a big fan of the heavily peated whiskeys. Um, to I would say now you could literally call me a peat head. I love, I, I mean, to me, an Octomore, uh, you know, a, 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 a Brook Laddie Port Charlotte. And I, I could drink that stuff. Oh, I shouldn't say I could drink it because I don't. <laughs> I, to clarify. All on the weekends. <laughs> Uh, I, I like uh, Lagavulin would be my scotch of choice. Oh, very yeah. nice. Very nice. As yep. Seinfeld said, the peat. Oh, <laughs> the peat. <laughs> I, uh, exactly. I have a, I, I think I have a story of about, of just about every type of alcohol. I do have a good scotch story as well. It's not as good as my grappa story, but it's a good story. I, uh, I was going to say, t- t- tell them the grappa story. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my, my very first, Maybe that's for the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my wife brought me to, uh, like the first holiday where I got to meet her family and her brother, uh, spent a, uh, spent, I think a year studying in Scotland. So he got really into Scotch whiskey. I don't even remember what it was that he poured me, but he said, you know, I get in there, I've been there probably five minutes. And uh, now I, I grew up in like the, uh, the redneck part of town. And my wife grew up in like the refined part of town. And, you know, of course they knew it, you know, and they're all like, oh, you're bringing this guy from Halls out here. And uh, he said, oh, have you, have you ever had scotch? And I said, no. And he said, you want some? Of course, I was being cool, so I said, "Yeah." So he gets me a, a glass, um, and he doesn't pour me a little bit; he pours me a lot, you know. And of course, I had no idea how to drink scotch at the time, and uh, of course, I'm just being cool, and I didn't want to leave any in my glass. I man, I was chugged. I was chugging scotch all night. And uh, <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble <laughs> with my wife's family. And then she uh, was kicking me under the table, telling me I was getting mouthy. <laughs> she was like, you need to eat more. You're getting mouthy. <laughs> <laughs> but ever since then, I've really, I've really had an affinity for scotch whiskey. <laughs> 
Well, that's not that's not the worst reaction you can have. I know quite a few fellows that they drink scotch. They don't get mouthy. They get fisty. They get rowdy. Oh, you know, yeah, I've gotten yeah. fisty. Like to throw down. Yeah, she probably wouldn't be my wife. Start fighting black belts and everything. <laughs> well, the la- the last time I was in Scotland, um, and so you know, funny, you know, going to Scotland is it's it's always fun, but the difficulty is even though they speak English there, it's not really English. It's you know. <laughs> it's you can't understand it you can't it's i had i had an easier time understanding italian when i was in italy than i could understanding scottish all right because they talk fast and so forth the more they drink though and the more i drink it all comes together right? to understand yeah. <laughs> you spoke the same language all of, all of a sudden we're all we're all best friends you know <laughs> That's Scotch it. is the great uniter. That's right. It is. It really uh, is. I would say that just. So you're a Somalier. I mean, are you an official? Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you have a certification? How does that happen? Or tell me. Yeah. I. Um, so you know, back when I did it, um, there was it was an online correspondence course um, that you had to pass. It, it was not just a like a pass fail. You had to pass at a, a certain percentage before you can even take the next uh, the next course. And so I went through that. Actually, a good friend of mine and I both did it. And then the final, we had to go to Scotland and actually take a full day of sort of a refresher course. We had to do a, um, we did a two-hour um, uh, seminar on how to blend our own whiskeys. Oh, wow. We did another hour where we were quizzed. The instructor gave us a, um, a set of 25 different aromas Um on these little um, cotton balls in little glass vials. We had to open up each vial, smell it, and write down what we thought what it was because you have to be able to discern the different aromas and flavors in whiskey. And uh, that was the final, sort of the final exam before uh, I getting my certificate. And I think I got um, 24 out of 25. Oh, my wow. gosh. And so I got 24 out of 25, and and she says, would you like to just stay here and work work here for us? Like, Actually, no. that sounds awesome, but no, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I got this business to run back home. Uh, you know, but we, you know what I did learn over there though. It's just an eye opener, and everybody knows that Scotch lover or bourbon lover who always has to throw in their two cents worth about oh, you got to drink it neat. You can only have the only have it neat. You can't adulterate it with water or ice or anything else. You go to Scotland and you talk to the distilleries and they'll say, I I don't care what you mix it with. You just drink it, you know, drink it the way you like it. The the woman who was our final instructor at the class, she's from Poland. And she said she grew up and her family would mix um, scotch whiskey with lemonade. That's just the way they drink it. In Japan, they mix in green tea. Um, It just really depends on what you like. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll do uh, as a as a hobby is I actually do whiskey tasting events uh, for private parties, for corporate events and so forth. And um, we'll do what's called the altered states of whiskey, where you, you first you try a whiskey neat for the very first time. If you ever have um, a new whiskey, try it neat for the first time. Then add one drop of water. When you add one drop of water what happens is there's an exothermic reaction between the water and the alcohol. It actually heats up huh. the alcohol by about two degrees. You, if you look at the glass with a light, you can actually see the swirls from the heating. And that will then um, re-emulsify what are called the water-soluble molecules in the alcohol, and wow. it brings out more flavor and aroma. Wow. And then you add a few more drops, and then you can add an ice cube. You know, But once you try it neat... Then you try it other ways. You find out what the best level is for you, and, and there you go. Uh, but don't let anybody tell you you have to have it one way or another. You do know a lot have about you, this. <laughs> have you ever had a smoky cokey? Oh, yes. I love Yeah, those. yeah, yeah. Um, so over in Scotland, we were drinking smoky cokies with a, um, uh, a uh, whiskey called Monkey Shoulder Smoke. Uh, and so it was a smoky, uh, peaty version of monkey shoulder. Uh, it's fabulous. Yeah, there's lots of vanilla tastes. Oh, yeah. That monkey yeah. shoulder. Yeah, it's huge. I'm going to become one of those Somalians. Throw your way, bud. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be the guy that, he's, that just smells it, alcohol. 
Give me the next one. <laughs> Alcohol. Oh, that one's scotch. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm not the guy to swirl it in your mouth. I swallow it too quickly. Yeah, well, they, they say you're supposed to keep the 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 liquid on your mouth uh, in seconds for as many years as it's been uh, in the, the cask. So if it's a 12-year-old whiskey, you should swirl it on for about 12 seconds. Uh, really? Every second for every year to open it up. Um, you know, it. I don't know. Does it make a difference? Maybe. I think, you know, we have so many taste buds in our mouth, on our tongue, and down our throats. Uh, for me, it's all about the aroma of it and then the finish. You know, how long does it last on the palate before that, that flavor starts to go away? Um, honestly, it's, it's just a lot of fun. You know, uh, people think, you know, because I own hundreds of bottles of whiskey and I do talk about this all the time that I'm alcoholic and I'm not, I actually don't drink very much, uh, but I love the experience, you know, and, and talking about it. Um, I'm a huge nerd for information and facts and figures. And so, uh, you know, when I started diving into this, I kind of dove deep the same way I did in the building industry. I just really wanted to learn sort of the story behind the I was going to say, I don't know that you fit the profile of that with your, you know, I mean, with your history and going into green building the way that you got there. And I don't, I don't know that you fit the profile. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose if my hobby wasn't whiskey and it was like, you know, rating the most dangerous solvents or something, it'd be, it'd be different. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I fell in love with it. And, and I just, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's certainly fun Great. to talk about. It's a conversation starter. Yeah, for That's sure. for darn sure. Yeah, I can see how your other <laughs> podcast got sidetracked because I could continue talking yep, about it. Well, happens. you bring it up and everybody's like, I love to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> right. Yep, exactly right. <laughs> so getting back to the the main topic, right? Yes. How many of your clients are, um, or what percentage, I say, like are on the West Coast versus East Coast? I kind of asked this before, but I just want to kind of get a, a temperature of what part of the country seems to be more in tune with healthy building, not green building. You know, um, one would think that most of my clients are in California, and that's um, not true at all. Um, most of my clients right now are in Texas, Florida, um Southeast really in me. general, and then here in the Midwest. I have a lot of clients in Wisconsin and Illinois. And they Minnesota all just moved right from now. California. A lot of clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And so um, the thing is about uh, it, it really it follows the trends of construction, honestly. Um, I was just down in Naples, Florida uh, last week. And, I mean, th there are developments going up everywhere you look. Um, it, it's it's um, a good time to be a to be a contractor in, in Florida. Texas is the same way. I probably have 10 homes going up in Texas alone. Um, in the Midwest though, I the reason why it not only I mean construction right now is is sort of, I mean, you all know it's it's kind of hit or miss because of whether it's interest rates or what or building material costs or what have you or, or, or availability of labor. But here in the upper Midwest, it's because of um, the weather is because people are stuck in their homes for eight months a year. And so now I have more people saying, well, you know, I know I'm spending more time indoors and I want to make sure that the, these, these spaces are healthier for us. Yeah. Um, now that said, you would think that I'd have more right. customers in Alaska than anywhere else. It's just, it's just, you know, <laughs> just not the case, but um, uh, honestly, yeah. Upper Midwest and then Southeast and Texas are probably uh, the, the biggest areas. Southeast in the really surprises me. Do you get into uh, do you get into specking HVAC equipment at all, or is that a little outside your scope, or is it more just materials? So yeah, I, I will spec HVAC equipment, but not necessarily from a standpoint of brands. Um, I think there's there's a you know, many many good brands of equipment out there. The bigger issue for me is going to be um, things like making sure the ductwork itself is is correct. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of flex ducts. Um, I, I, you know, being from Wisconsin, everybody up here still uses, you know, uh, uh, rigid uh, galvanized steel duct. 
Um, that's what I want to do too, but uh, I want to make sure that we clean the interior of the ductwork first so that you get rid of all the oils that'll, that'll harbor bacteria and mold and dust. Um, I had a guy, uh, a contractor actually just this past week say he's not going to do that because, you know, if you get rid of those oils, then mold's going to grow on the, on the metal. And I said, honestly, it's the exact opposite. The oil causes mold to grow on the metal because name an oil right. that doesn't stay sticky forever uh -huh. and dust passes by and it sticks and now it becomes a breeding ground. And so it's just, again, it's just changing um, people's minds a little bit and, and getting them to think outside of the box. Uh, but so I'll also talk about air purification systems. Um, I, I have a lot of clients that want to do things like radiant heat or geothermal or heat pumps. It, it just kind of comes down to what makes sense for their application. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind, you know, if, you, if you're doing geothermal, you also have to have ductwork for air conditioning and you also need that ductwork for air purification. So it's going to double up on your HVAC costs. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter, but it's just, we want to have these conversations so they know what they're getting into. What does a consultation look like for you? Like, what do you, not talking price, is it a job by job, or it's an hourly rate, or how do you approach? Yeah. So um, for new home construction or like whole house remodeling, people can hire me for an annual contract. And basically it comes down to unlimited uh, ability for uh, making appointments and everything. All my appointments are made online through this, uh, the scheduling software and they can make it for a phone call or a zoom call. And if you're an annual client, you can also bring in your contractors, your subs, your architect, your designer, what have you. So we can all have conversations, all be on the same page. I have um, other ways. If, if, if let's say somebody wants to uh, repaint a bathroom and they're looking for the for the steps on making sure that it's it can be repainted not only in a healthy manner but to avoid mold in the future that might be a 15 minute or 30 minute consultation call uh, i would say during the day probably 75 percent of my calls are those 15 minute to 30 minute calls and the rest would be either hour-long calls or my annuals just booking you know most of them will just have a standing weekly meeting uh and then we'll add in more as we need to um, but honestly, it's the, the types of questions I get, um, people are just so thankful to have somebody they can actually ask a question to who's going to give them an honest answer. I'm not, as a consultant, I'm not trying to sell you on anything that I sell in my showroom. Matter of fact, this is the exact reason why I started consulting is because for 20 years, I've been taking phone calls from customers asking me what they should do for for plumbing and HVAC and these things that I don't sell and just taking a lot of my time. So I said, I had to need, I needed to start charging for this. Well, now I have people calling me and, and booking appointments to ask me questions about the things that I do sell so they can get expert opinion, hands-on approach to make sure that their team knows exactly what to do. So yeah, mostly these very small phone calls, um, but sometimes they, they go into, uh, very lengthy, you know, going through the plans and specs and making sure that every nut and bolt on the house is going to be healthy for them. So do you have a... Uh, I'd imagine when you're... Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I'd imagine when you're on these calls with a client and they bring their builder on board or their general contractor that they're not always uh, open to taking your advice or your suggestions. Do you butt heads with a lot of contractors or... What are you trying to say, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, who wants to take advice? Right. And who wants to take advice from some punk up in, in, in Wisconsin, you know, who they've never heard of some scotch um, drinking sommelier. I don't know. Yeah, that, that does break the ice. Some, you know, that may help Alki green. Guy. I should use that more often. Like, <laughs> let me pour you a drink and then we can talk about it. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Yes, this, this is why most often I'll recommend to the client that they need to hire me because, and they hire me as that, as that liaison between them and the build team because, again, I come from architecture and construction, so I speak the language. Um, a lot of times, I said a lot of times, every time there's a problem on a job between the owner and the builder, 
it comes down to bad communication on somebody's part, right? Um, Not pointing fingers. It's somebody's fault that there's bad communication. So what I strive for is that open line of communication. If if the homeowner says that they're looking for a, a green home, you don't necessarily take that as healthy. You take that as energy efficient. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, well, then the homeowner gets ticked off because you're using a solvent based um, contact cement somewhere, or all of a sudden, you know, these really expensive, high performance windows are going in, and they're using, you know, quad on the outside, and the whole house smells like like caulk for the next six months. And so um, it's that communication that they don't have. And so that that's really what I bring. And, and, and so we'll go through the plans and specs, you know, unfortunately in residential construction um, specifications aren't really used very often. Um, I had a hard time coming from the commercial building industry to residential because, you know, in the commercial industry, you get a spec book that's four inches thick. And if it's not detailed in the plan, it's in the spec book. And, you know, you had to follow this or you had to file for, you know, for approval from the architect for, uh, you know, an alternate and get that stamp of approval. In residential, you know, nationwide residential construction is still kind of like the Wild West. You know, here in the Midwest, a little bit different. I don't know about Tennessee, uh, but, you know, uh, in in other parts of the country, heck, I got parts of the country that we're working in where I ask them, well, what does the local building code say? They go, what code? We don't use a code. Well, okay, (laughs) every municipality follows a code. The difference is whether there's somebody who actually enforces it or not. Um, But the stuff that's being done on job sites when nobody is looking is really remarkable in residential because it's not on the plans. If it's not on the plans, if it's not in a spec book, then basically it's up to the builder to make his or her best decision on what to use. The best decision on what to use is, is, you know, depends on the person. And uh, is it to make their lives easier? Does it make the customer's life easier, better, you know? And so what I try to do is, is um, fill in those blanks so that there is no question. So the contractor doesn't have to make a decision ends up making the wrong decision. It's something that's going to harm the occupant of the home. So yes, I think most often I get a little pushback at the start because they think I'm going to teach them how to do their job. And that's not what I want to do whatsoever. I am not a builder. I am not a a construction expert. I'm a materials expert. And so uh, I look to the architect, I look to the builder to, to give me the, the frame of reference of what they're trying to achieve. And then I'll find the healthiest product for the customer that works in the situation. And then we have a discussion. Does it fit within the aesthetic? Does it fit within the budget? Does it fit within the time frame? Uh, is everybody comfortable using this? Because this is going to be the best for the client, but I can understand if maybe there's some, you know, a little bit of, of, um, uh, nervousness using this or that because of whatever reason. And so we want to have that open line of communication. So everybody is really working towards that same goal. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, and I'd imagine as you're going through the process, as I was, and I thought, I thought you were very helpful when I met with um, the client and yourself and we oh, discussed, I, I hadn't seen or heard of a lot of the products, but you did explain the reason why we're, we're using them. And I, I think we, we probably changed a couple because of budget, um, because of performance issues. Um, but I never found it where you were telling me what to do for sure. For sure. So no, my, my gosh. Um, you know, that that's the thing is that your experiences of, of actually building a home are not my experiences of supplying materials for it. Um, now there will be certain things on a project where I'll be a little more vocal about a little more adamant um usually has to do when i've got somebody who gives me a line of i've been doing this for 20 years i know what i'm doing (laughs) you know my response automatically will be i've been golfing (laughs) for 40 years i still (laughs) suck good way to put it so i gotta write that one down yeah. (laughs) yeah but you don't suck at golf so you know just because you know, just because somebody does something for a living doesn't mean that they're actually the expert at it. Uh, it just means that somebody's willing to pay you for it. And so um, 
I, I learn every single day from every one of my clients, um, something that I didn't know the day before. And, and, um, I, I hope to share that then with the next client and the builders that I've been able to work with over the years of my career. I mean, some of these builders I have learned so much from, um, that I can now offer my customers because now I see from the perspective of what you're dealing with, uh, versus, you know, just me in an office telling you what to do. It's no, I mean, there are certain things that, um, I used to recommend that I really don't recommend much anymore unless very specific situations, because I realized how much of a pain in the ass it was for the builders. And we can't get off to a really bad start, you know, on a project because it's not yeah, going to finish nicely. Definitely. So, so for the average sure. person, say, you know, they don't have a specific allergy, they don't have asthma, you know, just average person. What would you say is your yeah. top, you know, your top list of need versus value? You know, something that everybody can kind of put in mm. their house that would be that would be great for everybody to have. For their own health, but is also also has some value to it. What what would you say is your top list of things sure. everybody could consider? So, first of all, you have to consider the fact that the average home built today has between ten and twelve thousand different chemicals in the air just from the building process. Doesn't mean it's toxic. It just means that these are chemicals that are off gassing slowly from the building materials. Uh, also. Every home built will have anywhere from 200 to 500 gallons of moisture in the air from the curing concrete, the curing paints, and the drywall mud, and the wood itself. Everything's releasing moisture. The two best things people can have in their homes to start with would be whole house air purification and whole house dehumidification. You know, here in Wisconsin, same as Illinois. First two years of a new home, you're going to have um, condensation on the inside of the glass. It's just inevitable because homes are built very tight. The windows are very efficient compared to what they used to be, but there's a lot of moisture in the air. We want to get rid of that. We got we want to get rid of it for a few different reasons. Number one, again, moisture on the glass can lead to degradation of the finishes around the window. Uh, it could also lead to mold growth in the house. If it's above 50% relative humidity, you can get more of a propensity for mold growth. And the third thing that nobody thinks of is higher humidity leads to higher off-gassing of building materials. As humidity or moisture comes off of a surface, it'll carry with it the chemical footprint of where it was. And we tested this years ago. Uh, I actually do a specific test. It's called a, a FRAT test, a formaldehyde release test. I was testing carpeting in somebody's home that was 30 years old. And I tested the carpet and it released about 650 parts per billion of formaldehyde for 30-year-old carpeting. Crazy. Wow. Now, keep in mind, in a home, the healthy level for formaldehyde overall is less than 20 parts per billion. Oh, my God. That carpeting was mm. at 650. I also determined that what the customer was doing was opening up the windows to get rid of the, of the, the chemical and the carpet spell. Cause she was feeling lousy in this house. And when she opened up the windows, she didn't care whether it's raining outside or how humid it was outside. The interior humidity of the home was about 65%. So I told her to close the windows, turn the air conditioning on, turn on a dehumidifier. And then I'm going to come back in two weeks and test the carpeting again. And I did that, and the carpeting, the off-gassing went down to less than 200 parts wow. per billion. So it just shows that if you if you lower humidity, eventually you'll lower the chemical off-gassing as well. So biggest things, air purification, dehumidification, and then, of course, um, the largest surface in your home, you know, besides walls and ceilings, of course, but your floor. Uh, and flooring material has the biggest possibility of chemical off-gassing of anything in your home just because of the area of it. And so I like to use hard surfaces, whether it's wood, porcelain tile, cork, natural linoleum, anything that's hard and smooth that you can actually clean easily. Um, I think that people think that carpeting is nice because you don't see the dust bunnies. Well, you're, you're right. You don't but they're there. 
Good thing about a hardwood floor is you can see them and remove them. Um, a good friend of mine gave me this tip uh, a while back, and he said, think of all the surfaces of your home like skin. You know, the skin, your skin on a human body, it's the biggest organ of the body. The skin of your home, the floors, the walls, the ceilings, you also have to remember that that's the biggest um, sort of breathable organ in the entire home structure that could actually be detrimental to indoor air quality. So we focus on those things that first. That just makes me feel disgusting. I'm never walking on carpet again. <laughs> Oh, it's like your carpet's absolutely like, horrible. And and yes, I feel like carpet is the back hair of the house now. <laughs> <laughs> well, think of it this way. Carpeting um, years ago, there was a, uh, a study done uh, by a uh, a uh, um, chemist. Her name was uh, Rosalind Anderson, and she actually tested carpeting that was up to i think at the time 24 years old and she conducted a test where she put a small piece of carpeting in a in a um an aquarium and mimicked sunlight coming through a window and heating up the carpet and she found that carpeting that's up to 24 years old at the time would still off gas enough uh formaldehyde wow. to kill laboratory oh my rats gosh. Oh my God. and now keep in mind that carpeting itself it's not only the fact that it uses formaldehyde in the manufacturing, but it's also a sponge for everything else in the house that's off-gassing. It can actually sort of soak into the carpeting, and then it takes forever for that to be released. So, yeah, it's it's a really, yeah, really, really bad product. Bad yeah. Or the armpit yeah. of the house. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah, armpit. The armpit of there the you house go. Is every yeah. carpeted room. Well, this has made me feel clean tonight. Now there are some non-toxic carpets out there that we work with, um, but you know, I so I say this generally speaking. Mo there's most carpets are are going to be problematic, and so uh, unless you're finding one of those non-toxic brands, wow. yeah, I'm never using That's a carpet again. It's really disgusting. <laughs> Looking at my carpet right now. <laughs> does does drinking scotch <laughs> offset any of this? <laughs> Makes you forget. You know, I. I don't know if it does officially, but it sure feels like it does. Makes you feel better about it at the very least, right? Ah, yeah, Enough scotch right. will fix anything for a little while. So, Andy, tell us about some of the, the paint products. That was one of the products we uh, looked at a yeah. lot in the build that I did, the paints. Yeah, the, the paint material that um, I spoke about earlier was the same one we used on, on that project, Mike. It was a brand called AFM Safe Coat. Um, so I'll just get into this lightly because it becomes boring really quick. Um, all paint manufacturers these days make what's called a zero VOC paint. A VOC is a volatile organic compound. What that actually means is any carbon-based molecule that's readily vaporized at room temperature that could contribute to low-level smog by uh, reacting with nitrogen and UV in the upper atmosphere. Um, Did you yeah, read that in the back of the book? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it gets <laughs> it gets wonky really fast. Uh, but so think of this: inside of the home, you don't have uh, high levels of UV, and you don't have high levels of nitrogen. If you did, you'd be dead anyway. Um, so um, the EPA said we need to re um, reduce the amount of VOCs because of outdoor air pollution. Well manufacturers would take out at the time ethylene glycol which is used in most paints it's antifreeze for your car very very dangerous harmful uh chemical and they would add back in, in its place a whole series of what are called unregulated vocs acetone ammonia and butyl acetate are the three most widely used chemicals uh, to replace the glycols in paint None of these are considered VOCs. Acetone, nail polish remover, highly dangerous solvent, can be used in paints and coatings and not be disclosed oh. as a VOC. So that just proves that wow. the VOC issue is completely wow. bunk when it comes to human health. On the flip side, if you peel the orange or peel the skin off of an orange for breakfast, you're now releasing 850 grams per liter of VOCs into the air. Doesn't mean it's going to kill anybody. 
So th- people and manufacturers especially use these VOC metrics as a way to entice people to buy their products, thinking that they are safer. But they never actually come out and tell you they're actually better for the occupants. They use phrases like eco-friendly, air-safe, you know, green-friendly, all these buzzwords that don't really mean anything. So not all, AFM. So not all VOCs are bad for you, is what you're saying. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but the EPA, you know, they, they have a list of all their VOCs and they give you, I think there's about 37 commonly used volatile organic compounds that are deemed um, non-regulated. So you can use them and not have to disclose them. So, And carpeting is a chemical co- called trichloroethane, which is that carpet smell. Um, completely legal to use in carpeting. It's used all the time. But it's highly toxic to homeowners. Um, but in paints, it's acetone, ammonia, butyl acetate. Safe Coat doesn't use any of that. They actually increase the resin, the acrylic resin, which is much more expensive for them to do. It makes for a better product. Um, you know, a lot of professional painters would say Safe Coat is very similar to paints from like uh, Farrow and Ball or like Benjamin Moore Aura, because that's very, very heavily bodied. It's a thicker viscosity. Um, you usually have to put on two coats for even color and coverage because the less expensive paints that use the cheaper ingredients, they have better hiding capabilities. Um, and so, but, you know, 20 years from now, your customers are not complaining about durability issues. They're going to repaint right. because they, they don't like the color right. anymore. That's it. And that's it. Um Safe Coat was developed about 40 years ago specifically for people with sensitivities. And, and again, what makes them different is not only do they not use any toxins to begin with, but you can actually use their paint over somebody else's and it'll seal up the chemical off-gassing. Uh, most paints and coatings will off-gas anywhere from two and a half to four and a half years after they've reached oh a gosh. full cure. Wow. So what you're telling me is with all these VOCs, so just that new, because you that have new house green, smell is not good for you. Just because you have green in your name doesn't yeah. mean a damn thing, right? I mean, you could just be an asshole just like everybody else. <laughs> you know, I thought about that. You know, when I started the company as Safe Building Solutions all those years ago, and I changed the name to Green Design Center, I did it because of what was happening in the industry. But I also did it because I created a, uh, a checklist, a building checklist called Degree of Green, where it helps people discern what is their own personal degree so I, of I green. Ask you about is this. it eco-friendliness? Is it sustainability? Uh, is it human health? And, and you know, quite honestly, I mean, that's actually a good segue because you know, I've got three main customer types that walk into my showroom. The first one comes in and says, I want to build a house and um, our seven-year-old has autism. He can't be around any chemical off-gassing because it exacerbates all of his symptoms. We want this a completely toxin-free, healthy home. The next customer walks in and says, um, I've been on this earth for 50 years. I've been a burden to the earth for 50 years. I want to remodel a home using all recycled, repurposed, renewed materials. Third customer walks in and says, I want to build a home with the lowest carbon footprint. Now, out of all those three customers, which one's wrong? None of them. Yeah. None of them. They're all right in their own way, Mm -hmm. right? They all have their own different degree of green, what they feel is green. Now, personally, you know, I've focused on human health, but I've had a lot of clients come in here and say, you know what? I take care of myself. I eat organic. I exercise. The family's really healthy. I just want to make sure that when we build this house, um, we're using materials that are going to last a long time and they're not going to cost a lot of money to fix in the future. So they're looking for that sustainable factor. All right. Or I've had customers say, I just, I feel wrong using materials that were made in China on my house. Can we just use materials that were maybe made within a, a 500 mile radius? So we're not using so much energy to get these products here. And, you know, so I, I've had to switch up my um, thought process, too, to make sure that I can now find materials for their projects, because to them, that's their personal degree of green. That's interesting. Yeah, I so love it. That's great. You do all that then, too. Sustainability and environmental health. You do. You're you are 360 yeah. degrees 
Green. I, I am, I you know, uh, back in the early and mid '90s, I was uh, co-author of the Wisconsin Green Build Home wow. Program. That ended up um, becoming um, one of the programs used to create the LEAD program. Uh, I was on the board of directors of the USGBC, board of directors of the uh, International Building Biology Institute. Um, I mean, I've had a lot of experience in global sustainability issues. It's just for me, what I felt most comfortable with was the human health mm -hmm. factor because I, I determined long ago that, you know, what good is saving the environment if you're still poisoning the occupants? And so I really focus on gotcha, that first. Great. Gotcha. That's great. I'm chairman of our homeowner association. Nice. <laughs> so you're the one telling me that I can't park a boat outside my uh, garage. He's, he's labeling all these impressive stats. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Everybody's got to have a green garbage can and the same shaped mailbox. I'm not even the boss in my own house. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's true. Us. Everywhere, isn't it? Everybody's above me. Obviously, I'm kidding, but I think Andy, you're a great resource for any 100%. builder that, not even if they have Thank a client you. that wants to do a healthy build, hundred percent, just for their own education and their own uh, leveling up of their own uh, business. I think uh, anyone listening to this, I think you should yeah. hit. You up got a Andy new listener, and, uh, a new listener with me, and I'm probably a, gonna have myself or my client reach out to you. Because we got we got a healthy home coming up. Yeah, I would, so. we have a lot of builder builder listeners than anybody else. I would say, I mean, personally, as a builder, if I have yeah, a client looks. that you know has these questions, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to act like the expert, just like I'm not going to act like the expert on anything else. You know, I, you know, it would mm -hmm. be wise for any builder to connect with an actual expert on these things. So I, you know, I don't share the sentiments on. You know, you're going to teach me how to build a house. I wish somebody would. So, um, you know, so I'm going to reach out first thing. So, Andrew, can you uh, can you give out kind of your uh, either Instagram podcast, all all the information where we can find you? Sure. Honestly, the easiest way to connect with me would be through our main website, which is thegreendesigncenter.com. From there, you'll find links to the podcast to my consulting. Um, I even started a new online circle community for listeners and customers to it kind of like having a Facebook page, but it's it's private and it's just for people who are interested in, in sharing their stories, sharing their, their wins, cool. sharing their losses. Um, and so that's where I do my weekly um, uh, video show. Uh, so everything can be found on on the greendesigncenter.com. You know, and I will say this too, since you know a lot of your listeners are builders, um, so many customers around the country come to me specifically to ask me who in my area can build me a healthy home. Uh, honestly, this is the number one question besides you know specific you know healthy home issue questions. It is who can build me a healthy home, and my answer always is. Anybody can. It just comes down to them wanting yep. to to learn a little bit. Um, I have worked with a number of builders around the country who um, never built a healthy home before, but they're very eager to. Yep. They're just waiting for that first yep. customer mm -hmm. so that, yeah, I mean, there's – and honestly, once you do, the next one becomes even an easier. opportunity to learn. And you yeah. know what to look for. You know, and so uh, I encourage any any builder who is interested to reach out because um, actually one of the programs I'm working on, I hope to have it out probably in May, is a, a series on educating the, the the builder community on how to interact with clients who are asking for healthy homes because a lot of times it, it comes across from the client as sort of saying to you. You build toxic homes and, and I want mine healthy. And that's not really what they're trying to do. It, it may sound sort of like that, but that's not it. I mean, no builder builds a toxic home, right? I, I don't know of any builder that specifically goes out to build a toxic home. Um, I think what happens is there are homes that are healthier for people because we've made them healthier for their tolerances. And so, um, 
again, that series should be coming out hopefully in May uh, on, on how to interact with that healthy home client. Yeah, and I, I think uh, pushing the whole idea that green is different from building healthy because I, I'm willing to bet that more people would sacrifice some efficiency oh, yeah. in order to be more healthy. Definitely. When they build their own. Uh, without a doubt, uh, NAHB just did a study on that in the past six months that said that um, I think 79% of their of their respondents um, would pay extra for healthy home wellness home features uh, uh, compared to it was maybe in the 30 to 40% yep. for energy efficient features. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, who goes into Home Depot these days when they're replacing the furnace and says, give me the least efficient furnace you got, <laughs> right? We all know energy efficiency means money saved. That's kind of a given. Um, I, I, I think that any home built in, in um, our areas these days is going to be energy efficient, especially right. compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think this is now sort of a given. Healthy is just that next iteration. Where do we take it to? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right about the pandemic has really caused a lot more people to think think that way. So, you know, we've we've put an air scrubber on every home we've built since 2020. So, you nice. know, and that and and Fabulous. the first yeah. the first request was from a customer. So, that's how we learned about it. Yep. Yeah, that was the um the silver line in that very dark cloud is that it made people really yep. aware that their home needs to be their sanctuary. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. Much appreciated, Andy. Andy. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely my pleasure. Yeah, no problem at all. I'd, please let me know if I can answer any more questions in the future. I hope you get well, some uh, hope you get some folks reaching out. I'm definitely going to have some scotch. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll be in touch for sure. Andy's going to meet you. <laughs> Our, our four <laughs> listeners will be Great. excited to reach out to you. Yeah. yeah we're, we're our right. mic's going. <laughs> uh, thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Yep. Likewise. Thanks for coming on. <laughs>